Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, E3 is canceled. Uber might ban drivers and riders who test positive for coronavirus. A second-gen Chromecast Ultra might be coming. A Peloton-style workout app from Apple might be coming. A look at Apple's entry into the suddenly hot arms race. And am I wrong, or wasn't crypto supposed to help during the apocalypse? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Back on the Corona beat, but over here... E3, the annual Electronic Entertainment Expo, the gaming world's biggest conference, has been canceled. Quoting Variety, Last year's Electronic Entertainment Expo, better known as E3, drew 66,100 attendees. The 2020 Gaming Showcase had been scheduled to run June 9th through 11th at the Los Angeles Convention Center in downtown LA. The expo is produced by gaming industry trade group Entertainment Software Association. Quote, after careful consultation with our member companies regarding the health and safety of everyone in our industry, our fans, our employees, our exhibitors, and our longtime E3 partners, we have made the difficult decision to cancel E3 2020, ESA said in a statement. The statement continued. Following increased and overwhelming concerns about the COVID-19 virus, we felt this was the best way to proceed during such an unprecedented global situation. We are very disappointed that we are unable to hold this event for our fans and supporters, but we know it's the right decision based on the information we have today, end quote. ESA said it will be reaching out directly to exhibitors and attendees with information about, quote, providing full refunds, end quote. The trade group said it's also exploring options to produce an online event to showcase industry announcements in June, end quote. In other corona-related news, Google has recommended that all North American employees work from their home at least until April 10th. Google has also banned all advertisements for medical face masks following a similar move by Facebook last Friday. And Reuters is reporting that Uber is considering suspending the accounts of both riders and drivers who test positive for coronavirus. Which, I mean, of course, right? Quote, Uber last month suspended 240 accounts of users in Mexico who may recently have come in contact with someone possibly infected with the new coronavirus. Uber said on Saturday it would offer compensation to drivers and delivery people who diagnosed with the coronavirus or placed in quarantine for up to 14 days, end quote. Sources are telling 9to5Google that Google plans to launch a second-gen Chromecast Ultra dongle later this year based on Android TV with 4K HDR support and a standalone remote. Quote, The external remote will control the device and resembles a cross between the Daydream View remote and an Apple TV remote. As is to be expected, the remote has a microphone and a dedicated Google Assistant button for controlling your content with your voice. The remote will also be programmable to your TV, we're told. The remote likely passed through the FCC today, as spotted by protocols Janko Rotgers. 
Aesthetically, we're told the device resembles the third-generation Chromecast that Google has been selling since 2018. It will have a softer, rounder finish, the typical G logo, and an HDMI connector that is very similar to the current Chromecast Ultra, but a design more in line with Google's current hardware. Our source tells us that the device will fill a long-awaited gap in the market, a mass consumer dongle that runs full-fledged Android TV. The device will give users access to apps such as YouTube TV, Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, and more, end quote. Apple may be working on a new fitness app, codenamed Seymour. Seymour has been sussed out in leaked code for iOS, watchOS, and tvOS. It looks like Seymour will let users download guided workout videos, quoting MacRumors. With the fitness app, users may be able to download fitness videos that cover a range of different workout options and activities, getting guidance on completing those activities on the Apple Watch. Apple provides a gallery of different workout routines that can be downloaded and synced to the Apple Watch with the videos themselves shown on the iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV. The Apple Watch appears to be used to track your progress through each workout routine, similar to how the Apple Watch can track existing fitness activities through the Activity app. Apple appears to be providing the workouts through its fitness app for free, as there are no in-app purchases or costs associated with the content at this time. It looks like Apple is working on a wide variety of activity types, including indoor running, cycling, rowing, stretching, core training, strength training, outdoor walking, dance, and yoga, end quote. Yeah, I don't know about that free aspect of it, because, I mean, sure, I'm sure that some workouts will always be free, but I can also really see some sort of premium Peloton-style fitness subscription as a pretty compelling product, either as a standalone subscription or as something bundled into an overall one subscription to fit them all, Apple Prime subscription. Is another tech trade war looming? Great Britain will announce a 2% tax on search engines, social media services, and online marketplaces if those companies have more than $650 million in annual revenues and more than £25 million of revenue inside the U.S. The new tax is slated to go into effect April 1st, quoting CNET. The tax was expected to feature in the government's 2020 budget statement Wednesday, but it was instead announced in a policy paper published on the government's website. The UK's decision to press ahead with taxation comes amid efforts by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development to reform international tax rules, which will likely result in digital companies being taxed more widely around the globe, amounting to an estimated $100 billion annually. Some countries, namely the UK, France, and Spain, which approved a tax plan last month, have decided that they'll implement their own tax rules while waiting for globally agreed measures to come into play. But unlike France, the UK will start collecting tax next month. France agreed in January not to start collecting the new tax until the end of 2020, after it was threatened by the US with tariffs. The British government has previously insisted that the tax is not discriminatory against the US because it applies to all large digital companies, not just those in the States. But with the majority of companies affected by the tax based in the United States, the decision to push ahead with taxation is still likely to increase tensions between the two countries. Speaking at Davos in January, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said the U.S. would likely retaliate with a levy on U.K. car exports, end quote. Here we go again. Researchers say Intel's CPUs are vulnerable to new 
LVI attacks, which let attackers inject and execute code inside the CPU, theoretically even from a site's JavaScript, quoting ZDNet. Named Load Value Injection, or LVI for short, this is a new class of theoretical attacks against Intel CPUs. While the attack has been deemed only a theoretical threat, Intel has released firmware patches to mitigate attacks against current CPUs, and fixes will be deployed at the hardware, or silicon design level, in future generations. While the original meltdown bug allowed attackers to read an app's data from inside a CPU's memory while in a transient state, LVI allows the attacker to inject code inside the CPU and have it executed as a transient temporary operation, giving attackers more control over what happens. Tests performed by the two research teams who found the LVI attack independently from one another have been successful at proving the attack's broad impact, end quote. The patches for this were released by Intel yesterday, by the way. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Aside from security stories like that last one, has anyone else noticed the surge of stories about the chip space lately? It's starting to feel like we're in the early days of some sort of fundamental shift in this key part of the tech ecosystem. Here's another example. Anand Tech has a look at Amazon's Graviton 2 ARM chip, which is expected to be publicly available in a few months. Anantech thinks this chip might deliver better performance per dollar on AWS's EC2 than Intel chips. 
Amazon's adventure in custom silicon began all the way back in 2015 when it acquired Annapurna Labs to develop a custom ARM server-grade chip. Quote, The Graviton 2's potential is, of course, enabled by the new N1 cores. We've already seen the Cortex-A76 perform fantastically in last year's mobile system-on-a-chips, and the N1 microarchitecture is expected to bring even better performance and server-grade features, all whilst retaining the power efficiency that's made ARM so successful in the mobile space. The N1 cores remain very lean and efficient at a projected 1.4 millimeters square for a 1 megabyte L2 cache implementation, such as on the Graviton 2, and sporting excellent power efficiency at around 1 watt per core at the 2.5 gigahertz frequency at which Amazon's new chip arrives. Total power consumption of the system on a chip is something that Amazon wasn't too willing to disclose in the context of our article. The company is still holding some aspects of the design close to its chest, even though we were able to test the new chipset in the cloud. Given the chip's more conservative clock rate, ARM's projected figure of around 105 watts for a 64-core 2.6 gigahertz implementation and Ampere's recent disclosure of their 80-core 3 gigahertz N1 server chip coming in at 210 watts, we estimate the Graviton 2 must come in at around anywhere between 80 watts as a low estimate to around 110 watts for a pessimistic projection, end quote. And Antec then tests the new chips, putting them through the usual paces, and concludes by saying this, quote, In terms of value, the Graviton 2 seemingly ends up with top grades and puts the competition to shame. This aspect not only will be due to the Graviton 2's performance and efficiency, but also due to the fact that suddenly Amazon is now vertically integrated for its EC2 hardware platforms. If you're an EC2 customer today, and unless you're tied to x86 for whatever reason, you'd be stupid not to switch over to Graviton 2 instances once they become available, as the cost savings will be significant." End quote. A report from Palo Alto Networks and their Unit 42 Security Division says... of internet-connected medical imaging devices currently run on outdated operating systems. In fact, that number is up 56% since 2018. Why? Well, it's no doubt related to the end of Windows 7 support back in January, quoting VentureBeat. Due to their long life cycles, medical Internet of Things devices are among the worst offenders when it comes to running outdated and, in many cases, end-of-life operating systems, Unit 42 said. These devices are neither maintained by IT nor supported by the operating system vendors. Biomedical engineers who maintain medical devices often lack the training and resources needed to follow IT security best practices for employing password rules, storing passwords securely, and maintaining up-to-date patch levels on devices, end quote. The first slate of Galaxy S20 and S20 Plus reviews are trickling out, but again, I'm going to just stick to one today because it's basically the same thing that we've heard. Excellent screen and hardware, good battery life, but if you're upgrading just for 5G, it's probably not worth the extra cost at the moment. Here's Dieter Bone at The Verge. Samsung decided to call this phone the Galaxy S20 instead of the Galaxy S11, Was it because it didn't want to be a number behind the iPhone 12, which is presumably coming later this year? Signs obviously point to yes, but Samsung claims it chose the name because it wanted to signal that the S20 is the start of a new generation of phones. There are two reasons Samsung thinks it can make that claim. 5G and the new camera system. 
But I still think 5G is a wash right now. It's not something to seek out. As for the camera system, while the Ultra version of this phone tries a lot of new things, the regular S20 and S20 Plus are fundamentally evolutionary updates on what Samsung did with the S10. I bought and used the Galaxy S10, and so I have a pretty solid frame of reference for the S20. Despite Samsung's claims, it does feel more like an S11, a solid improvement over last year, but not a new generation of phones. It's also got too much of Samsung's legacy of limiting software updates in it to be the start of something genuinely new. But as I have been saying, don't take solid improvements for granted. It's the best complete package of an Android phone available right now, and a high bar for the rest of 2020 Android phones to try to clear. S11, S20, Samsung can call it whatever it wants, end quote. Finally today, we haven't spoken about crypto in a while, and we really won't in any detail right now, but I will note that Block Genesis is reporting that venture funding in the crypto space is on pace to be down 40% from Q1 of 2019. Now, the funding rate is still on par with crypto investments from Q1 of 2017, but that was three years ago. I'm bringing this up now not to pile on a sector or anything, but because it gives me the chance to ask a question I've been wondering about for a couple weeks now. Crypto, in case you haven't been noticing, is crashing, at least the price is. Almost all the coins are down significantly from their highs. Bitcoin was just about kissing up to $10,000 a coin as recently as February 23rd. Since then, it's been trending lower to $7,820 a coin at the time of this writing. What has happened in the meantime? Oh, you know, stock market crashes, global pandemic headlines, entire countries closing their borders. So the question I've been having is, what gives? Wasn't one of the main arguments from the Bitcoin maximalists and other crypto folk that crypto would be some sort of safe haven, sort of like gold in times of extreme uncertainty, panic, and, you know, the apocalypse. Again, I'm not really making any point here. I'm just seriously asking, shouldn't crypto be up right now? Sorry for the late dropping episode yesterday. Glenn just got a little behind on things. We did come up with what I think is a workable process for me to host both this show and the Coronavirus Daily Update every day, at least for the time being. So you should hear from me all the rest of this week. Again, this show will always be my priority. Nothing exciting to share with you today, so I'll leave you with the sign-off I've been using on that other show. Be well, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>